Welcome to Miss D's Lunacy. We are here in London at Soho Sonic Studio with an absolutely amazing guest of mine who I adore. He's a composer, a lyricist, and the greatest cabaret artist in London. And I am thrilled to introduce you to Ty Jeffries, who has had a history remarkable, and he's going to share with you his life when he was a child and everything else, and you will be amazed, and you will want to come to London and hear him every day. So please welcome Ty Jeffries. Hello, Deanne. How lovely of you to have me on your show again. It is such a wonderful time to have you. And your stories are so amazing that I think my audience would be so impressed with the fact that we're here in London and that I am talking to one of the most extraordinary artists that I've ever met that is actually living here in London. So it's a privilege for me to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Miss D. You're welcome, darling. Now, you write, wrote songs when you were five years old. Yes, I started writing when I was five. My, a- my parents had a lovely American friends who were living um, in the countryside. And when they went back to America, they left their Steinway piano in our garden shed. And I used to, at five years old, I'd wander in there and was fascinated by it. And I started playing and I could just play. I don't know how, but I, was, I could. I well, first started of all, writing it, and playing. But that's unusual because it was very artistic. But you said to me, your mother was an actress, your father was an actor, yes. and your grandparents were musicians. So it was a sort of a genetic thing. But I mean, to think at five years old, you're tinkering around, you figure out what you're doing, mm-hmm. is actually extraordinary. So the talent was there. I suppose so. Which is so marvelous. And then you started writing songs when you were 14 years old. Yeah, well, I started writing it when I was five immediately, and I wrote right through. I had my first publishing deal when I was 16. Wow. So, yeah, and I wrote songs. I I was signed to Elton John, uh, his publishing company, Rocket Music. Unbelievable. That was later when I was in my mid-20s. So I've written for people like... Nana Cherry, I've worked with Chaka Khan, I worked with Vangelis. Amazing. But it wasn't it wasn't until I created Miss Hope Springs, who you interviewed previously, that I really started having success with my songs and I performed them in the West End and I was recently in New York and LA with the show when I went on tour. So Well it was wonderful. But what I am fascinated by is that when you were seven years old, your father got to be the lead role in California for Camelot, isn't that yes. correct? He was, uh, he was cast by Joshua Logan. It was one of the starring roles anyway, and I think he had fourth billing. It was uh, Richard Harris, Vanessa Redgrave, Franco Nero, um, and Lionel Jeffries, who's my father. And he played King Pellinore. Pellinore. And he was, I think he was only in his 40s, but he had to age up to be 150. Good Lord. Uh, and had four, makeup, eh? a lot of latex and hair and warts. And he was in the makeup show for four hours every day before filming. And the film, I think, took 18 months, no? Yeah, it I think it was, yeah, it was a massive, it was hugely expensive. And I don't, I don't know that at the time it recouped all its money, but now it's become a sort of cult film. It's shown all the time still here in England, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful film to watch. So you decamped from London all the way to California yes, and stayed at this wonderful hotel. Well, we first stayed at the Chateau Marmont. Yes, yes, yes. And we yes. had a little sort of three-bedroom house. Um, 
there with a swimming pool and Frank O'Neill used to come over and swim in the pool and I'd, he'd, you know, I'd dive off his back. <laughs> and um, Maurice <laughs> Chevalier, who was a friend of my father's from a, a film called Fanny that oh, he'd done of with famous, Leslie Caron. And they were friends. And Maurice Chevalier used to come over and I'd sit on his lap and he'd sing to me and... So it was very I lucky and fascinating. So in the meantime, you rented somebody else's house after we, Chateau yeah, Marmont because you were there for so bloody long. Yeah, the somebody else's house. It was Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn's house when where they used to have their rendezvous. Their rendezvous. And as part of the lease agreement, I think it was John Gilliman, the film director, I think he owned the house, and he said... Oh, Catherine will be swimming in your pool, so she comes very early, but if she does come, just ignore her. And we used to see her. I'd used to out the window and see Catherine Hepburn like, arriving, wait, swimming, wait. swimming up and down for quite a long time, just lengths, and then she'd get out and she'd go. Oh, yeah. my so, God. And in our pool in England, because we lived near Pinewood, which yeah. is the sort of British Hollywood, we had our home there, and we had a swimming pool, and we had a wonderful actress called Wendy Hillier, Wendy Hiller, who was a dame, dame Wendy Hiller, and one of our great British actresses. And she used to come and swim in that pool. <laughs> so uh, we're surrounded by very glamorous ladies swimming Certainly, lengths. certainly. So you had Maurice Chevalier. Fred Astaire came over all the time. Fred Astaire was a, an, another friend of my dad's because they'd made a movie called The Notorious Landlady. Um, with Jack Lemmon and Kim Novak. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. And my father played the sort of the detective in that, the British detective. And so they were great friends from from when I was five, I think. Actually, it was earlier than... You were surrounded five. by artists. Yes. It was just in your blood. It was just in your yes. genetic making. And yes. you sort of never, you never blinked an eye. You didn't think it was odd. Well, you don't, do you? I mean, I suppose if, if my family had been brain surgeons and I was surrounded <laughs> by brain surgeons, I'd, I'd feel the same way about brain surgeons. But I, I am, I'm not someone who's not starstruck. I'm very, I was deeply starstruck by... Everybody, you know, Fred Astaire used to come over and spend the weekend, and um, I'd, oh, I'd, so we had, my parents would have cocktail parties, and I'd be handing a, a, a sausage roll to Lee Remick. <laughs> you know, yeah, amazing when when she was living and in England. And you're just sitting there going, "Wowie, wowie, yeah. wow!" It's amazing. All right, so you were there, and your father was, of course, um, playing the king in Camelot. Yes. And then you, he did something remarkable. He was with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He was, yeah, he, he was uh, in uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the original film with Dick Van Dyke. Oh, my God, and I love it. that was made in England, so uh, yes, they were was. made it out, outside. And the director of that film was Ken Hughes, who was the, was the, um, the father of... Melinda Hughes, who you also interviewed. Correct. Who's the opera singer. So, and she's Isn't a great that... friend of mine. And her father and my father were great pals. So he, my, my father played Grandpa Potts <laughs> in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And he's the one that goes up in, the, in, the, in what is basically a privy underneath a balloon singing, oh, the posh, posh, traveling life, the traveling life for me. That's dad. Amazing. Yeah. But that film is 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 historically well known. Yeah, it's a but classic. But they've never isn't remade it. A... They've never had the nerve to remake no, they that. Couldn't. I hope I 
I really hope they never do. They're very tempted to, but I don't think the remakes ever touch on, on the originals. I agree with you. Because they did so many remakes of so many movies, and they were all very different. But I still think that the originals are really, really spectacular. Mm. And and so it was filmed here, and how long did that take? That was a long shoot as well. I think it was it was many, many months, a year probably uh, at least. I, I think it was a huge, um, you know, big production. So Dick Van Dyke had a wonderful show in America, as you well know. Yes. And... Uh, and so he came over here for yeah. like two or three years to fit, but That's it was right. a big production. Yeah, he lived And where here. was it filmed? It was filmed uh, mostly at Pinewood Studios Pinewood. and then also on location, a place called Bray in Buckinghamshire, a uh, very beautiful countryside. And they built the windmill and they, the little farmhouse on the hill. And um, I think it's sort of, I think it might even still be there. Uh, people go as a sort of tourist thing. If it's not, it should be. Well, it should. It should. It should. And then Dad, um, you know, he was a he was a famous character actor here, and he'd made a few, quite a few movies in 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 the states. But then he went on to uh, direct uh, a movie called The Railway Children, which was released in the states. Again, I'm not sure that it was such a big success as it was over here. It was huge in England, and. Uh, it's still shown, you know, as usually around Christmas time, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, or well, Easter Sunday. What was the Sunday. movie about? It's about three children who move to Yorkshire, and it's their adventures uh, with their mother, who's a writer, and their father is a is sort of political prisoner. It was written by E. Nesbitt, famous British writer, and um, Dad uh, was asked if he wanted to direct a movie by Brian Forbes who was, again, a very famous film director and, and screenwriter, and he took over Elstree Studios here and asked Dad if we wanted to direct something. And my sister Martha had been reading The Railway Children and said, I think you should make this, and he did. And it, I, think it, I think he won the Palm Door at Cannes with it or something. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, again, like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, a real classic that is very, very beautiful. And it's, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that he made that. Well, your talent, his talent, plus your mother was an. Uh, your mother Ruth was also an actress. My mother Eileen. I who Ruth was? Oh, oh, no, I don't know. Where got I got Ruth from? So <laughs> sorry. So sorry. <laughs> okay, wrong <laughs> info. Uh, Eileen, and she Eileen. was an actress as well. But she was. They they met at RADA, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Oh. And uh, my mother was uh, you're brilliant and very beautiful, like Hedy Lamarr. And wow. uh, yeah, really stunning. And um, with his fire, you're good looking. Oh, you're very sweet. You say all the right things. Uh, but she gave up her career when she married dad and, and looked after him and us three children. And, and uh, a good, and submissive sure. woman. Yeah, well, I think it was the era, wasn't it? I understand. Was Women were submissive, they couldn't get any jobs, and particularly very difficult. Mm. And the men were, oh, you were supposed to take care of the yeah. men. And I, I think it's a shame because. She was, she was, as I say, beautiful and very funny. It's like, like Lucille you. Ball funny. So oh, my God, I, I like Lucille Ball. I like to think Ball. like me, and I think Miss Hope Springs is. A psychic once said to me, you're going, and I didn't realize this at the time, I always thought it was a funny thing. She said, you're, going to, you're not going to continue your father's career, you're going to continue your mother's career. And that's before I even started doing Miss Hope Springs, who is sort of slightly Lucille Ball-esque in her humor. <laughs> very much so. I adore Lucille Ball. She was one of my favorite mm -hmm. actresses. She smoked like a chimney. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, she died 
sort of, I think, from cancer. I don't know. But she was the funniest thing with her and Desi Arnaz. What a group. It was one of the most popular shows in America. I know. I loved that show. She was wonderful, wonderful. But, as you know, behind the scenes, in every great show business sort of uh, family or mm. there, there are always sort of other stories, you know, it's behind so the messy. behind the sequined facade. Well, they had to be very careful. But years ago, these actors could get away with a lot. But today, the media is just on top of you all the time, and they sort of they can't really do what they used to be able to do. I mean, Cary Grant was doing all sorts of crazy things. Nobody said a word. They mm. sort of let him do his LSD, whatever he was doing. Yeah. And, you know, Diane Carroll and all that, they had sort of a crazy, crazy time. And he has a beautiful daughter called Jennifer who's written a book, and so is Diane Carroll, and they all speak around the circuit in America. Fascinating. Well, I've been... I I was offered a publishing deal to to write the book about my childhood, and um, so I've written a a large amount of it, but I... I, um, I won't be publishing it until Why you know not? a later date. Well, I, 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 my mum's still alive, so I think I'll wait. In honor of her. Yeah, I would wait. It would be more respectful if I'm going to do it. You know, um, I wish it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I don't think she'd be happy with it. So tricky. Yeah, but that's okay. I think that you have great respect for her. And yeah. it will happen because your story is so magnificent in terms of the people that you met and you were surrounded by at such a young age. Plus, you had so much talent. So did your mother. So did your father. I mean, who gets to have that kind of mixture? I mean, it's like magic. I mean, you all of three of you, well, most of you yeah. created magic. Well, my sister's... Were both keen to be actresses. They both wanted to be actresses, but they they didn't pursue that. Um, I think they realized how hard it is. What a tough life! And they married, and they've got lovely husbands and families. And my one of my sisters looks after um, is a Montessori school teacher and trains all the Wonderful Montessori school. school kindergarten teachers. Yeah. And my other sister is um, uh, runs a charity. It's a hospice. So I always say, one sister looks after them coming in, the other sister looks after them going out, and I entertain them in the meantime. Oh, it's a perfect entry, <laughs> middle, exit. It's a family exit. business. It's a family business, entertained in between. What a great, what a great segue. I mean, you've all got it all together, and I don't think you planned it that way, did you? <laughs> Not really. I don't think you could plan something like that. Oh, oh. It's just so incredible. So the movies that your father did in America, what were they called? Well, as I said, there was Camelot, Notorious Landlady. There was something called um, Who Slew Auntie Rue, which had Shirley MacLaine in it. And there was another one, wait for it, it was called Dad, Poor Dad, Mama's Hung You in the Closet and I'm (laughs) Feeling So Sad, which was with Rosalind Russell. And so I used to go to church with Rosalind Russell on Sundays. We'd go to Mass at the Good Shepherd Church in L.A. and always talk to Rosalind Russell. But that was a very strange movie. And uh, it's one of those movies that you think people were obviously smoking a lot of pot when they were directing it. <laughs> they call it spiff here. It's spliff, yes. It's spliff. So I've heard. Well, I don't know. I don't touch this stuff. 
But I find it so funny that they name it a completely different thing. Connie, you don't need to touch this stuff. No, I'm already mad. <laughs> I don't need it, for God. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, exactly. But it's so fascinating, this whole event of your life. And then you ended up going to this wonderful, prestigious school of music, right, right. called the Purcell School That's right. of London Music. Yeah. And, I mean, that's where you sort of developed your skills in a more Pro- yeah, professional I was, I manner. A, um, I had you know, music theory lesson. I was, that's when I was 13, 14, music theory. I studied classical piano, classical violin, voice, and they really encouraged me with my composing. And, and so even then I started, you know, I was writing music and lyrics and, um, How did, it just came into your head? I mean, it's it's just just the thing that I do and love most. And I mean, I wish I'd been born maybe in the thirties or forties and, would have been signed to MGM as a as a writer, you know, and, and been writing songs for all the musicals, like The Gersh Wins and Cole Porter and Harold Arlen. That would be that, that is, would have been my dream. That would have been. That, I mean, how wonderful were those people? And it was well, they were well behaved. It was really a lovely era today. It's sort of a mishmash. And well, again, as you say, well behaved. We they. What they were doing behind the scenes never got out in those days. Well, that's correct. Unless I mean, you got on the wrong side of head. It's hopper. called what we do when we're not on the scene is nobody's business. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it all looked so proper, you know, and they were controlling everybody yeah. and they were telling everybody you can only do this. But there was not this media frenzy, which is today, which is, I think, is ruining our population, to tell you the truth. Mm. Because everybody's out there. And they're pursuing you with this movie and that movie, and all of a sudden your privacy's completely gone out the window. But also I think that um, it's celebrity. And it's yeah. in the, in the, back in the day, say the 30s, 40s, people were famous because they were contributing something. Now people are famous just because they're famous. And no very few of them really. I mean, of course, there are the artists who are famous, but there's a huge swathe of people who are just famous because they're celebrities. And they don't really have anything about, like the Kardashians. Oh, for God's sake! You know, the, 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 bit, you know, good luck to them all. But what they, what do they actually have apart from this ability to be famous? I wish I had it. Well, I think <laughs> you're already famous, my dear friend. Thank you. But I mean, you know, because you have talent, some of these people are really dumb. So, as a matter of fact, somebody was telling me the other day that their father wants to become gender changed again. Really? What yeah. in the Haiti hi ho is that about? I mean, first the fellow becomes a woman, Caitlyn Jenner. Now he wants to change it around. I mean, make up your mind, for God's sake. I mean, is this all in media ploy or something? Uh, probably. It's probably all spin and uh, it's hot air and like a lot of it well, is. Well, I mean, I miss the old days because everything was a little bit more well-mannered and more proper and yes. just I didn't, I don't like it. So then you ended up at Middlesex University, correct? I did, yeah, that was, that's true. You've done your research. I did. I did a, a BA in performing arts. So, so you're a stage boy. I am. I mean, it took me a long time from then. I mean, I was a songwriter. As I said, I was signed to Elton John and um, his music publishing company. And uh, I was really going for being a sort of solo artist in the okay. sort of vein of Elton John. But I ended up being more like Peggy Lee. So uh, it, it, it took me though all those years to find my way to really what it was that I had to offer. And it was a long journey. And I think all of it sort of has contributed to making my stage 
work something so, with depth, you know. But it's fantastic because your heart and soul is into it. And your songs are divine. My favorite song is The Devil Made Me Do It, The Devil <laughs> Made Me Do It. And every single one of them are original. And mm. they're yours. And that is something that you could never take away. Mm. And I think that's magnificent. So, I mean, you've written, I mean, I hate to ask, what, 500 songs? Oh, I must have hundreds and hundreds of songs. I write all the time. And I've got a solo piano CD, Dusk in the Luxembourg Gardens, which is on iTunes. And my you know, Miss Hope Springs uh, CDs are on 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 iTunes too, so people can find them and download them. So how can they find it? Just go to go to iTunes and put in Miss Hope Springs, and you'll see the two CDs there: uh, Queen of Fools and Welcome to the Carnival. I love that one. I love that Queen of Carnival. I mm. love it, love it, love it, love it. It's a fabulous song because Thank I love you. the carnival. Yeah, I love all that. Those images, the circus images, carnival images, and and it's funny because. As I said, Peggy Lee, I am a huge fan of Peggy Lee, and I, I was lucky enough to meet her granddaughter, Holly Foster Wells, who's an absolutely delightful woman, and she came to see my show in at the Gardenia Room in, in L.A., and then she invited me to her house uh, to m meet her husband and the kids, and then she's got a, a Peggy Lee office where she has all Peggy Lee's personal items and notebooks and unreleased recordings and she played me a number of songs that no one's ever heard Peggy Lee demos and things like that and a lot of them are these sort of kind of haunting carnival clown circus songs that just really appeal to me and and I love her and her style so it was uh, it was a real honor to get in there and and be treated to all these very special things Lucky you, but yeah. you see, you're you're so connected because you have such a connection with the music and the art world since you were a child. Yes. So the connections that you make are almost sort of you can't help it. They're just they just yeah. they just blend. Well, they say water finds its own level. I think that's <laughs> one way of putting it. I went to I lived in LA for a couple of years when that was in the sort of early two thousands, and I. Um, met this wonderful actress called C.C.H. Pounder, who was the star of Baghdad Cafe, that wonderful film, and loads of other films. And she's on CSI and all these things. Fantastic. Oh, I love CSI. Fantastic actress and a wonderful lady. And she invited me to join her one night to go to the cinema, which was a screening of Moulin Rouge. <gasps> and I'd already seen Moulin Rouge, but I thought, well, I'll go anyway. And I was sitting next to Sid Charisse. <gasps> And Michael York. Oh, I and, love Michael. And um, oh, uh, amazing stars. It was a bit like Sunset Boulevard, you know, being in that with all these old stars and in the dark watching a movie. <sighs> uh, Baz Luhrmann was there. Now, I don't, it's just, I met her accidentally by chance and not through the business or anything. So, and then she invited me to that. And, you know, Fred Astaire from my childhood and Sid Charisse was there. So it's this, a very, Odd, as you say, there is a sort of connection, and I suppose one finds a vibration, and you're functioning exactly. on that level. You're on the same level. Now, did he ever dance running around your house? I would love to have seen. Uh, that. No, I did. We we I danced with him we, we, when oh, when I was so a little jealous. boy. When I was, uh, I think I was seven, and we um, 
were tap dance. He tap danced down <gasps> Sunset Boulevard after dinner at the Brown oh. Derby. I think it was. We had dinner, and Lucky he, boy. he was dancing, and he, I danced with him, and uh, he showed me a few steps. And his daughter Arva Astaire Mackenzie is is still a great friend. And I see a lot of her when she comes oh, to so London. She lives what here part, part of the time. What a lucky man you are! So Thank he became a buddy. Yeah, he was. A, well, he was a dear friend of of your dad's father, and mum's. Of your father, he was a great friend. And I stayed with Arva and her lovely husband Richard, who was a wonderful painter called Dick Mackenzie. He was a society painter. Painted Lucille Ball. Painted Barbara Stanwyck. He did all the sort of ladies of a certain age in these wonderful sort of seventies paintings with beautiful floral dresses and making them look absolutely ravishing, which so is I like suppose, the tarot days. why they all they all went to him. He sadly passed away Amazing. recently. But um, I stayed with them in Ireland. And, be found? Oh there you can sign if you just Google um, Rich McKenzie or Dick McKenzie as he was known. Uh, he was a society painter in, in the sort of sixties and seventies in LA. Wonderful artist and he taught me a, a, a bit about painting too but I stayed with them in their house in Ireland and Fred and I also stayed at Adele's ha house uh, Adele Astaire Fred Astaire's sister who was uh, Countess of Lismore I think and she lived in a castle in 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 Ireland and we stayed there too it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done it was, well, it was freezing it was freezing <laughs> it was <laughs> terrifying it was so spooky and and she, she was kind of Fabulous. I mean, she was a real grand dame uh, of the theatre, you know, living in this crumbling mansion. And I remember she used to melt gelatine in a little bowl of hot water every morning and drink it um, for her hair and her nails. So it was... Gelatin. Gelatin, yeah. So it was really... And she had butlers, and, but it was all crum but very crumbling. And, <laughs> yeah. So what's happened to the place? It's still there. She passed away a number of years ago, and I don't know if it was passed on to... I don't think she had any children, so it might have gone to another family member somehow or other. What a shame. Mm. But I know they love to be grotty over here. They just don't keep up their estates. Well, no, there must don't. have been dogs all over the place, right? And, uh, and also, I mean, there is a sort of thing about faded gentility. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you know, in the really sort of posh... British families, all the men always wear their father's suits or their grandfather's suits, and all the shirts. And are they're all afraid, frayed. exactly. So that's a sign of you know uh, being, oh, being very an smart. Old, old boy, yeah, being, being a, very smart. It's you know I, I've tried to understand the old you know shabby chic business, but I think what happened was back in the day the estates were so expensive that they couldn't keep up the estates, and then in the meantime the Germans were about. To invade England. So they decided, well, hell with it. We're not going to fix anything. We're going to keep it looking grubby that way. They don't want to take our castle away. And also, they probably knew that the time would come, which did in the 40s, 50s, when they pulled down a lot of those houses because they were huge tax burdens and they just blow up the house and move to one of the cottages on the grounds. That's, a so lot of families sad. did that, yeah. Because these houses were beautiful. Well, Downton Abbey was about, yes. you know, there was also that other movie that they'd done that the fellow Julian Fellows mm. won an Academy yes, Award. that was wonderful. Um, it, it was, I, um, I want to say, um, starts with a G. Yeah. yeah. It'll come to me. It'll come. And uh, we, the Americans are fascinated by Downton Abbey. I watched every single episode. 
it was absolutely extraordinary because that is how they lived back in the day. Mm. But I can't tell you that Mary was so mean <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> she was so mean. But it, it was, was a, a one show. beautiful estate. Yeah. And the fact that they've been able to keep it together is yeah. a really amazing. But, I mean, I don't think if they hadn't filmed it in there, they would have not probably survived. But a lot of these estates did go down under. They did. Was, Thank God they're now the existing ones and the existing houses are, are protected and um, they know how to make run them as businesses now. They they learned from the, the early days, I think in the 50s and 60s, when, you know, the grand families realized they had to open the doors to the public and charge admission and that's how they managed to have an income and save them. Uh, and the National Trust, of course, ta has yeah. taken a lot of them and keeps them in good nick. So we're lucky to have them and... That's what England's all about, I think. And, well, it was unfortunate. We had the same thing in France. We had these beautiful chateaus, and they were making wine, and they became decrepit, and we had the same sort of aristocratic nonsense that was going on over there. And it was so unfortunate because these estates were so huge, and they weren't able to keep them up. Mm. And then they had to sort of lease part of them, and you live in one part of them, and then they were organizing the hunts, you know, yes. so that they could use the land and everything else. Because these people inherited these huge, huge properties, and they were incapable of keeping up because the taxes in France are so high. And some of these chateaus fell to bits and pieces. Now, some of them are still magnificent. I mean, the Chateau de Diane de Poitiers is enough to just make you, oh, since I'm Miss D. I mean, I was like, oh. I'm most beautiful with a moat around it. I mean, you could just go around touring and looking at these beautiful things. Yes. And then they have these trips with these balloons. Of course, I can't go on a balloon. It freaks me out. I think it's going to eat my hair up. And you go flying around in Bordeaux and all of the Lorraine Valley to oh, look at the chateau. I love the way you say Bordeaux. Say it again. Bordeaux. Oh, it's fabulous. Well, that's the way they say it. <laughs> it's not Bordeaux. Bordeaux, I know. <laughs> that's the way I say it. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. So getting back to your stories, you've been writing songs for forever, and you've become very famous. So how do you deal with that? Well, it's, just very, sort of it's, it's kind it? of easy for me because Miss Hope Springs is the one who gets all the attention. Miss Hope Springs is the one that, that gets mobbed after a show and has to have photographs taken with people and sign things. I Once I take it all off, I just put my jacket on, my glasses, my cap, and, and I walk off. out with my bag and nobody even knows... I've left the building, which is perfect, <laughs> isn't it? It's ideal. I, I get the best of both worlds. I think so, too. Because I know you're being pursued to be on various things, <laughs> and, and you and don't I want like to you be Miss D's Lunacy. Yeah. I don't want to be anything else. Yeah. So we have a dual personality where we have our show and we have our private life. Yeah. And I actually like that. Yes. I think it's very interesting. I mean, I'd like to keep my private life to me, but I'd like to put Miss D's lunacy out you there. You put that out there. Because your... she's fantastic. Mm. Now, whether I... <laughs> you are fantastic. <laughs> well, but, yeah, thank you, and so are you. But I like to keep a certain side, so I understand exactly where you're coming from. People want to put me on television all the time. I said, I don't want to do that. And I mean, who cares what I look like? I'm fun. I can do fun. Yeah. We got it, baby. Yeah, we can sure rock it out of the park. <laughs> and you don't need to see us, for Lord's sake. So we go, you, we have to see because you're so phenomenal in your fabulous shows. But I prefer to be hidden. I mean, really, that's probably why I do it with two wigs and three, uh, you know, three trowelfuls of makeup and seven pairs of eyelashes. 
I, I'm a character actor in that way that, like my father, my father was happy with a false nose or a, a toupee or something because you have something to hide behind. That's good. And, uh, you know, I don't feel comfortable going out really as myself or on stage. I cringe at the thought. Isn't that funny? Mm. Because you really are sort of duplicating your personality. But you're having your... I understand it completely because I'm doing one thing and I'm being another when I'm private. Mm. And I think that I understand that area. A lot of people will be going, well, why aren't you doing this and that and this and that? And mm. I'm like, no. <clears throat> a bit like Peter Sellers, I think, even though he yes. was, you know, he always played a character. He was always yes. very much behind him. My father made one of those movies. It was called The Secret of My Success with Shirley Jones. Uh, and it, he played several different characters. From I a, love that. Yeah, uh, very extremely different characters. And um, I think that's a sort of a way. I only really want to play one other character, but I, I completely understand why actors want to to have something to hide behind. Peter Sellers was wonderful, yes. the Pink Panther, the whole thing. Well, they were great friends, Dad and Peter Sellers. Oh, he was At the wonderful. beginning, and they made, they made a couple of British movies together, Two-Way Stretch, Wrong Arm of the Law, which were classic sort of British black and white movies, uh, sort of like Ealing comedies. And then Peter Sellers sort of fell out with my dad because I don't know what it was. I think they had a sort of a bromance as well. And um, he was slightly, evidently, and I've read a book, said he sort of became slightly paranoid about my father's talent and... Uh, well, it makes some people insecure that yeah. they're not as talented, I hate to say. And it was many, many years before they actually became friends again and made one of his last films, which was called a remake of The Prisoner of Zender. Um, I remember that. Which was, I think, in the 80s. And Dad, yeah. he had Dad in that playing a wonderful character part of a sort of ex uh, army guy with a terrible sort of scar on his face and didn't say a word through the whole... <laughs> Movie just chewed up the scenery with overacting, you know. But so he would morph into different characters like that. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes. So he was sort of multifaceted in another way. Yeah, he was. He, my dad also painted, and he was a really wonderful painter. And in fact, uh, I was contacted recently with somebody who had bought one of his paintings as a, in a in a auction at a gallery and. Uh, wanted to know if it was really by him. and You so were able to is, authenticate. Yeah, and his work is starting to be collectible. Uh, well, as they say, when you're dead, your work triples in yes. value. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to be... <laughs> but, you know, I was actually representing a fabulous artist in America, and I went to the, the Biennale in the, 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 the Basel show in Miami, and I saw some of the most incredible artworks I've ever seen in my life. And so I was talking to some of these galleries, and they said, we only deal with dead people. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, lordy, lordy. I said, what? I suppose they're less trouble. Well, first of all, they're not around. <laughs> and, of course, the work triples up in value. Yeah. But it, it's extraordinary. So um, the paintings were of what? Were they oils? Were they They're aqua? oils, uh, mainly oils. And in the 60s, he painted, you know, a lot of, I think somebody called it British whimsy. Well, I love sort that. of movement of, of, of very imaginative paintings. Of, they're figurative but they're very stylized. Um, he said, I don't know whether it was true, he said he studied with Bernard Buffet in Paris, in France. I don't know if it was true, but he used to say that. And it, it looked like that from his work. It always had kind of a thick 
black lines yeah, around yeah, things, yeah. and I've got a few of his paintings at home. Well, I was just about to ask. Lucky so enough to say, got them. yes. Good for you. Yeah. Will you hold on to them? Oh yeah, I will. I will. How they amazing! So, so he sold many, and he gave many away. I'm sure. Yes, he did. Yeah, he was very generous with them, and um, he 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 was happiest, I think, when he was painting. Because it's peaceful. Yeah, and you didn't have to really interact. He was like like so many actors, I think. Well, I know he, he was like one of those people who was missing a layer of protection. So he felt things very acutely. So to, to be interacting with people all day was exhausting for him. Um, but to paint in a solitary way, I mean, he just, you know, my mum would cook him his well, lunch. Well, he was able and, to know. relax and to go into his own yeah. world. It's very difficult to be morphing into different characters. It's exhausting, yes. as you said. Yeah. People have no idea. When you go on stage, for instance, on the theater, and you get off, it takes you three hours just to go, blah, 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 blah. I'm calm, I'm calm, yes. I'm calm. And it so takes people, a lot out of you. Yeah. It takes a lot out of you, and it's an amazing amount of energy. I don't think people really understand it. And it's exhausting, really. Mm. So you need that sort of peace and quiet because I mean, if you were performing seven days a week plus two matinees, I mean, you'd be knackered in three months. You'd yeah. be like, poof, I'm very, finished. Well, and people do, and, and it's well. It's, they, that's why they switch the roles so many, mm. so many times, and so often because it is exhausting for them to continue to do the same thing mm. over and over again. But we love it. We love it. So, you know, well, that's my 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 idea. Uh, my ideal, of course, is we work. You know, is to be in the West End every night. You know, and well, maybe not Sundays, <laughs> but you know, to to be doing just that. Seven shows a week and two matinees, and you'd be pretty pooped. <laughs> I would, but you know, I'd be—I know I'd be happy. Well, we're gonna figure. You're gonna get there if you really want to do that. But yeah. you're already at Crazy Fox anyway. Crazy Cox, oh yeah, oh, you, Crazy, crazy Cox, Cox, Fox, Cox. Yes, I've done Crazy Cox. I've done the Hippodrome, the Hippodrome, which was, um, which is um, you know hippopotamuses, and, and then I'm doing Les So I've got a little sort of. Menagerie of cabaret rooms. I love uh, cabaret. Cocks, hippopotamuses and snails. What do the hippopotamuses do? <laughs> well, it used to be, um, uh, it was built as a circus, and they actually used to have hippopotamuses in there and elephants, and they had no. midgets who would go up into the, into the high ceiling and then spin down and jump into the water. It's, it's, it's an amazing uh, Where venue. Is it's this it's place? The, the, right there, Leicester Square. It's the Hippodrome Casino now. And, oh, it uh, used to be something yeah, it else. It used to be and a circus, and then it was the talk of the town, famously, where Judy Garland performs and Frank Sinatra. So I was there for six months as a resident, and I treading the same stage of Judy, which was uh, a big... Quite an yeah, honor. And Eartha Kitt played there, and uh, um, even Charlie Chaplin actually played there um, oh many years ago. So What a wonderful man. I mean, what a funny comedian. Yeah, but I love Peter Sellers when he goes, what did he say? He walks into a hotel room and he goes, does your dog bite? And he goes, no, my the owner of the hotel says, no, my dog does not bite. So he walks in and the dog bites him and he says, I thought you told me your dog did not bite. And the owner said, that is not my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and he wanted a room and he thought there was a cold. And I mean, I he know. was his... Hysterical, hysterical. And then, of course, Gérard Depardieu took on another role with uh, Steve Martin or whatever his name uh, was. Ah, Clouseau, uh, yeah. Clouseau, and then they started to, I mean, 
and it, it, I mean, you know, he opens the door of the car, and there was a the car disappeared. I mean, they were a bu- bunch of bungling idiots, but it was so funny. And he was such a character. I mean, I think he's eternal. And then he did this very strange movie called The Gardener, remember? Yes, yes. And everybody was sort of was like... Was it called Being There? I thought Wasn't it was called The Gardener. It could have been called I Being There. I think it was called Chance... Chance... Yeah, 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 yeah. Gardener. Yeah, yeah, ch- exactly, and it, exactly. I think it was called Being There. It was Yeah, and he and never said anything of any cause. And everybody thought he was he, like this mystical guru, and it, but we weren't quite sure. He, that was and brilliant. he kept talking about, you know, gardening and the soil. Yeah. None of it made any sense. People were going, hooray, hurrah. I, mean, I think that was his last film, actually. I think it was, actually, yeah. I think, I think it, was. it was. Yeah. What a shame, but yeah. he was so funny. Well, we've all got to go at some point. I know, but we have to go with a bang, not a bust. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do we have to go? What do you mean we have to go? Well, time is it. Well, I'm not going anywhere. Are you? <laughs> do we have to go? Well, I mean, I just think you've gotten... I mean, I just want everybody to follow you. And um, I'm yeah, just... You so, can find me um, You can yes. find me on uh, Ty Jeffries Music on Twitter. Okay. You can find... Uh, follow Miss Hope as Miss Hope Springs on Twitter. Okay. And I'm on Facebook as Ty Jeffries and Miss Hope Springs. And my website is misshopesprings.com. So if you want to check out any of those things we talked about, it's, it's all on there. Well, this man has an incredible knowledge of wonderful directors, actors, and people he's known since he was a child. And I would suggest you all get on this thing and figure it out because this is a trove, a, a trove of information of what you know and what you met. And, and that is so rare to be able to do that. I had the privilege of meeting Cary Grant, and I was very, very lucky when I was 16 years old. And I think he'd married his secretary by then. He had divorced Diane Carroll, and he'd married somebody else, and then he dabbled into LSD. And then, So I was at Warren Avis's house in Acapulco. Wow. So Warren said to me, well, Dion, you know, you've got to behave, Miss D, if you're going to go and say hello. And he was like, well, I don't want you falling in the pool and acting like an idiot. And I was like... Ugh. And I said, okay, so I walked up to him, and he was wearing one of these wonderful Cuban shirts, which my father used to wear all the time. And I just, I don't know how that happened. I started doing lines out of one of his movies. And he went right into character, and we had this repartee, and everybody was sort of like, wow. And he started doing the whole scene with me. And I kept going on and on. I mean, it was only two, three minutes, but... It was marvelous. You remind me of a man. What man? Man of the hoodoo, hoodoo, you do, do what? And we were <laughs> laughing, and he got it, like, right away. And it was such a treat. I mean, how do you go up to Cary Grant and say, I think you're really cool? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's probably heard it a hundred yeah. times. So when I moved into my apartment in 1990, and I bought an apartment in New York, I met my neighbor, and she gave me a gift, and it was she had written a book about Cary Grant. And we sat on the staircase because I had a little maisonette. And I said, oh, my goodness. I actually met him. And she was wonderful. She was Swedish. And she was working with um, Carol Burnett. And she was organizing all the shows for all of the actors and actresses. And she was marvelous. And she had written this book about a man that I'd actually met. And it was my first present. Oh, wow. It's extraordinary. 
And so we had this wonderful repartee, and every time I'd come over to my apartment in New York, I'd bang on her door, and I'd go, now, come on, let's go out to lunch. Tell me what's going on. She wanted to know what was going on with me. We became best of friends. That's lovely. It was lovely. It was just so amazing. So you make these connections, and Warren Avis was the one who introduced me to the fellow. Actually, he was really thrilled to meet me. (laughs) I bet he was. Well, I don't know. I was 16 years old. I mean, I don't know. But thank you. But thank you. That's just so sweet. Well, the, this is extraordinary. So everybody better pay attention because we are going <laughs> listen to Listen to Miss D. Yeah, listen to Miss D and listen to Ty Jeffries and Hope Springs. And we're going to get there and you're going to just, I mean, he's already famous. So it's not like, but just love him. Just love him and listen to him with great joy. Don't you agree? Well, how could I not? I know, but we want them to enjoy yes, you. I've already had the pleasure of enjoying you and your company. I want well, them. Well, if they come to London, they must come and see one of my shows. I'm on usually in the West End at Live as Adele, which is what used to be called Crazy Cox, or Ellis Cargo, or... I love the name. Some, ...some of the other venues that I perform. So I'm always around. You'll find me. Miss Hope Springs. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your wonderful, wonderful stories with us. I really appreciate it. You're so full of wonderful information. And the people that you've met, so brilliant. Lucky boy. Lucky you. Lucky you. Yes, I'm very lucky. Yes. Well, you're wonderful, and you should be. And you're so talented. Thank you, darling. So anyway, we're going to close down, but we just have to say... First of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lady You're welcome, welcome. And we have to say, when we leave, unfortunately, lead us not into temptation. We can find it ourselves. And we're doing a very good job of it, except we find lots of wonderful things. Thank you very much. <laughs>